You're listening to Trek FM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we'll look forward to seeing you there. This is Steve Sansweet of Rancho Obi-Wan, and you're listening to the 602 Club. Welcome to the 602 Club, Trek FM's local watering hole. So excited to be here today. We have a very special guest with us as we're going to be diving back into the Star Wars books uh, as we had a brand new book just released a few weeks ago. Uh, We have a squadron book. That is right. We are back with ships and I'm so excited. Alphabet Squadron has finally been released and... All fans can rejoice because we have an X-Wing style series back. And with me to talk about that is somebody who's never been here in the 602 Club before, but got a chance to meet uh, last year at Dragon Con. And I'm pretty sure that you probably know him because he runs Star Wars Explained there on YouTube. So Alex Damon, it's great to have you here, man. Hey, yeah, thanks for having me, Matt. Yeah, I'm so glad that uh, you could make it, uh, especially since when I messaged you, you were like, oh, no, I really like this book. I want to talk about it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm ready. I've been waiting to talk about it with somebody. Well, that'll be perfect then, because I've been waiting to talk about it as well. Um, And mainly, too, because uh, I don't know, um, I'm sure for you, too, they've been sending out the, the advanced reader copies like super early. And so you get the opportunity to read those. And then um, so you read it so long ago before you can really talk to anybody about it. Uh, And you're just kind of like chomping at the bit waiting for people to read it so that you can start talking about it online. (laughs) Yeah, the the advanced reader copies is all of a sudden something they've been doing this year. I I haven't been getting them that early until me either, like Queen Shadow and Alphabet Squadron and Usually I'd get them like maybe a week early Mm -hmm. and that was enough time. But yeah, now it's, I mean, it's super helpful (laughs) to have your content ready to go. Well, yeah, it really is. It's much easier for for us to get the reviews out um, the day of. And like you said, you know, when you have like maybe a week to read, depends on how busy the week is, whether you have to really cram. So yeah, it's been awesome. Uh, Before we dive into the book here, everyone, don't forget, you can find us all over the place where wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, If you're on Apple Podcasts or iTunes there, uh, hit us up, get us a star rating review. Just let people know what you think of the show. Uh, It really does help people find the show. Um, And then, of course, you can also find us on Twitter at TrekFM. We're on Facebook at Facebook.com slash TrekFM. We've got a listeners-only discussion group that's on Facebook. It's called the Babel Conference. If you type Babel into the search field on Facebook or you go to the website at Trek.fm, uh, any of the show pages, you'll see a button that says discussion, and that would let you write in. Um, and then you can talk to everybody uh, about all the shows that we have going on here in the network. Uh, and then last but not least, if you would like to send us an email Go to track.fn slash contact, choose a show, choose the 602 Club, and that will come to me and Christy. Alex, I, I thought one of the things that really stuck out to me, this book, was how psychological this book is and that it's very much, I feel, about the cost of war and surviving war. 
And I I really like that um, Alexander Freed, uh, who also wrote Battlefront, um, that he tapped back into that theme because that was very much a theme of you know what the 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 first Battlefront book was all about was just like trying to survive war. And these people, it's about the fact that they've actually survived war and a bunch of their friends haven't. And I just I thought that was really nice for a Star Wars book to really dig in deep to you know, what this is like, um, you know, the, the reality of war is, is, you know, it seems glamorous when everybody's yub-nubbing on Endor, uh, but the, the reality of that is not necessarily a pretty thing. Yeah, I completely agree, and I've got to admit, I am not super fresh on Battlefront Twilight Company at all, uh, it, but I think that I might go back and reread it after Alphabet Squadron, because uh, I, I remember not loving Battlefront Twilight Company, but after Alphabet Squadron, I'm like, I might need to go give that another look because I I loved Alphabet Squadron. And yeah, the I think even the tagline for the book is uh, victory has a cost or comes with a cost or something like that. And that's the whole gist of Alphabet Squadron is like they are literally all the sole survivors of their squadrons. And they're coming together to uh, stand up against that one group, Shadowwing, that has been taking all their friends out. Yeah, I thought that it was really nice as we, you know, we we get um, the, I love that the torture droid has turned into uh, like a therapy droid, yeah. uh, which was great. But him, you know, kind of helping Arissa realize that what is it that every one of these people have in common is that they're a survivor. And that they're pretty much the sole survivor of their group. And so I, I really appreciated the fact that um, we gave these characters a, a lot of depth here right at the beginning. And I think it sets up, you know, a nice foundation then. Since this is a trilogy, it'll give us a nice place to go with these characters because they, I mean, they go through the ringer together in this story. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I'm thrilled that this is going to be a trilogy uh, because I thought that, well, I really enjoyed the book as a whole, but I did feel like it started a little slow in just that it's got to introduce all these characters. I was thinking it was going to be almost like, you know, X-Wing Rogue Squadron, right. the Legends book starts with like, everyone's here, like chapter one. Corrin Horn is in a training simulation and like we're all together immediately. That's kind of what I had as my expectation. But it was cool to see the whole team spread out and then slowly form together. And I really loved uh, Will and Chas's part of that story. But I do look forward to the second and third books where we don't really have to do that. We can just jump right in. Like right now I'm reading... Uh, Black Spire by Delilah Dawson and that one picks up very shortly after her previous book Phasma with Cardinal and Vimerati and it's fun not having to be introduced to those characters just being like yes they're back let's go so yeah I'm, I'm really excited to see how two and three play out yeah I think that's a really good point because you know the pace of the bo this book is very slow at the beginning you know, we spend, I I would say, at least a good third of the book, if not almost like two thirds of the book, really building this group into a working squadron. 
you know, that's really what this is about. And and part of that is them overcoming a lot of the psychological obstacles that they have in that, but also it's bringing them together as the team. And I felt like it was really smart to do that because, you know, a lot of the, like you re- referenced the, the X-Wing books, a lot of the Legends books, you know, you're dealing with characters you already know, you know, like it's Wedge and stuff like that. And yes, Wedge is like a minor character, but you already feel like you know him coming in. So you don't feel like you need to be introduced as much. This book is setting up all new characters except for the one exception, Hera. And it gives us an opportunity to really spend time with those characters before it just dumps us into a bunch of action. So that way, by the time we're at the end of the book, I feel like Freed has done a good job of making us care, like if everybody's actually going to survive this crazy ass plan. Absolutely. By the time we actually get to the action, I was on the edge of my seat and he had set up all of this uh, relationship stuff. Like there, there's so many, I'm trying to talk without, spoiling it <laughs> oh you can spoil but, it the, the, there's okay yeah, we're doing that no, I mean, no worries about spoilers here all right all right so like the stuff with uh chas and being angry at will for taking her choice earlier in the book and that kind of like that comes back up again at the end where she feels like again he's taking her choice but in a different way and just watching them all react to what they've been through and how they've grown as a team and as a family it like kind of gave me avengers vibes a little bit where Mm, all of these dysfunctional people have to come together and learn how to work together yeah and and it was neat to be able to see the way that they do that because again so much of this story where they really start to come together is that moment where uh, they're sent on the mission by Hera to basically it's this hidden Jedi temple on this unnamed planet, like uh, a moon. It's like, it's not even important enough to have a name. And I thought that was a really uh, great way to bind these characters together because what better way um, to bring people together than to stick them camping for a few days, you know, where they don't have anything to do other than to talk to each other and load up supplies. Like, it's that perfect opportunity for them to like let down their guard. And to me, again, it was just, it was smart writing. Like, you know, if you want us to really care about the the characters and, and to feel something for them in the end, you really do want this kind of interaction um, because you need to know their stories. You need to know the psychology of these characters or it's not, it's not going to matter, you know? Um, And I think, Freed is pretty good at that. And, you know, Battlefront, I think, does a a pretty good job of that, too, of allowing you to feel uh, that one's more the frustration of the characters, you know, and and like being in so many losing battles and everything. Um, This one is, is slightly different because, you know, once they come together, you know, this team is a pretty good team, which is that was also fun to see as well. Yeah. And it's interesting when we look at the team that Erica Quell is still kind of on the outside, which I was surprised of by the end of the book, but yeah, that whole camping trip, she is spent off doing something else and it's like guarding the team. It's for their benefit, but it's interesting that she hasn't reached that point yet. And I think even uh, Nath at the end has a, a line about that, how she's like not 
quite one of them, but she's trying. Yeah, and I think, you know, I just kind of looking at her as one of the characters, and she's the main point of of interest for us in the story. We're really following her story for the most part. And I I liked that it was a struggle for her, somebody who had grown up in the Empire, had joined the Empire, honestly, because she was going to join the Rebellion. But by the time she kind of got in, she just found that she couldn't leave until this, you know, um, Operation Cinder happens. And she just, she can't do it anymore. Like, there's a part of her that, it's like, a, it almost feels like there's a part of her that breaks, finally. Um, and she just realizes, and she even says something in the book where um, if you if you can't say what you're fighting for, you know, then you shouldn't be fighting on that side. Like, if you can't give a reason for what you're doing or why people are dying, then there's probably not a good reason. And and so uh, something to that effect. And I really appreciated that she had really kind of found her breaking point with the Empire. But that it, but it wasn't one of those things where it, you know, a lot of people come over from the Empire, and I feel like it's just so easy for them to fall into not being an Imperial. But I felt like Freed really does something smart here where it's very difficult for her to let go of what it means to be in the Imperial military um, and what it means to be a soldier on that side and how they do things. I thought that that felt more realistic than sometimes the other side of what we see. Yeah, and I thought that I, I really liked the revelation, I guess, that at the end, because the book opens with her explaining how she defected. But then near the end, we see that that's not the truth and that her breaking point wasn't all that noble. <laughs> like yeah. she goes through and she carries out Operation Cinder and it's afterwards that she is like, what it's more of a what have I done instead of like a, no, I can't do this and I'm going to stand up for what's right. And her commanding officer just kind of lets her go. i Man, I, I really think that that's going to be cool to explore going forward. And I feel like maybe that secret's going to get out because right now I think Karen is the only one that knows. Mm -hmm. uh, to see if people do really still trust her. Uh, but but I also liked she she was still like judgmental of Imperials that hadn't defected quite yet or quite as early as she had. And yeah, Quell is a really interesting character and uh i i like what you said about her having trouble letting go she is reprimanded a couple times for thinking like an imperial and i i loved the detail that the first time she gets into an x-wing cockpit she's like what's this button for oh they're shields obviously like because <laughs> our tie fighters don't have them uh but yeah she's a very compelling character that uh I, yeah, what you said is a good way to put it. She's very realistic. Yeah, and and I think the the thing that really struck me um, about her as a character, like you said, is that throughout the whole book, we we you know, Karen keeps saying to you know his droid, "There's something she's not telling us. She's lying." Um, and we find out that yes, she has been lying, and I think that that's really interesting because you know she kind of has that moment that Anakin has in episode three where, you know, he chops off uh, Mace Windu's hand 
and Mace Windu is gone and he just falls down. And he's like, what have I done? And that's basically her experience as well. But instead of turning, you know, back towards evil, she finds herself unable to do that. And I, I thought that that was really interesting because that's a whole conversation that we have throughout the entire book is about Operation Cinder and what's it for. And yeah. I, I found that really fascinating because we're fine, you know, we're tying into Battlefront, the the game storyline there, or Battlefront Two, um, and bringing that to what the reality of that's like for the galaxy and everything, and the Imperials that follow that and the Imperials that don't follow that. And I think, you know, when you put that together, um, the ones that go through with it, you know, those are the fanatics that are going to turn into the first order and and that's what makes them more fanatical than even the empire you know um because we hear about in this book the how the empire you know it really hadn't made things better in the long run because people were just as corrupt as they were before um you know the corruption had had died down a little bit when the empire first started but then it picked back up because imperials got in on the game with the corruption and so the people that are willing to follow through with this order are the ones that are the most committed. They are the most crazy. <laughs> well, I loved seeing uh, things from grandmother's point of view, the, mm-hmm. the villain who kept like trying to talk to the Sentinel, the emperor's droid that would never turn back on and talk to her, but was still kind of moving around and doing stuff. And it's like, I know you're listening and I'm trusting that everything is for a purpose. Like she's carrying out, everything she's told to do but she has doubts and she wants to know that it's worth something and i i was a surprised that she was killed in the first book uh and and that whole sequence with nath was awesome that he sneaks aboard her star destroyer to do that and b i loved when the sentinel like came up to her and i was like oh it's gonna say something to her and she's like was it worth it and he's like nope it doesn't say anything to her just turns his back on her and it's like it doesn't care about her, and the emperor didn't either. It's I liked grandmother a lot, and how uh, she was treated as kind of like Quell in a way that she had these doubts, but she was the version that kept on going. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, the the thing that made it so fascinating is you know you're there's a there's a quote in the book about how you know this isn't the first genocide that the emperor has ordered um and you know there's a difference between they she's thinking you know like alderaan or lasan and operation cinder is the difference between ruthlessness and cruelty and like Mm. just how cruel this order is because it it is one to really separate the wheat from the chaff to see who is going to be willing to follow the emperor even after death to the point of crazy um, because there really isn't a point to this other than that is, and, and that's what will become again, the first order. And I think one of the things that this book does is that, you know, it's in that time period that everybody wanted and it is helping kind of set up a lot of the things that we'll see then by the time we get to the force awakens and why things are the way they are. And I think to me, you know, th- that's what made this book exciting was actually seeing this time period. And this is cause this is exactly what I wanted. I think from aftermath basically, 
but this is what's happening here. And I'm really excited that we're finally telling this story. Yeah, I feel like Aftermath is going to wind up being kind of a broad strokes, like how we got to Operation Cinder and the Battle of Jakku and stuff. And I'm thinking that maybe Alphabet Squadron is going to get a little more granular in, into what happened. And I, I am a little bit wary that it'll just the third book will end with the Battle of Jakku again, which I'm just like, we, we've seen it a lot at this point. Why does so. everybody want to go back to Jakku? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I would be totally fine if they had their own mission off somewhere else. Maybe it was during the Battle of Jakku and it was also important and we got to see a new angle on what was going on at that point in time. But uh, I, I'd be fine not seeing the Battle of Jakku for like a fifth time. Yeah, no, I agree with you, too. Um, and I think, you know, one of the things that, you know, as we're kind of talking about this idea with Operation Cinder and everything, I think, you know, the the thing that I felt like this book does very good is is the tie-ins, you know, because I, I love the fact that he references his first Battlefront book um, with the Barma Battle Group uh, and, and the fact that we're really diving into the reality of, of uh, Battlefront 2's gameplay with Operation Cinder and the fallout there, the Imperial Remnant. And I just thought that was really interesting. But I also saw, thought something that I'm, I wanted to ask you about um, in the idea of like kind of like tying this all together because we're, we're building that universe that's going to lead us to Episode 7. And we, we have a character here who is very worried about imp- the intelligence operations of the New Republic and that it's not, he believes that it's not just brute force, basically, that's going to win them today. It's going to be being able to intelligently know where the best places to strike are. And, of course, we've seen already that Mon Mothma is, is not all too keen about really continuing this war for much longer um, throughout other books and the struggle that he's having here in the book of really having um, people see the the legitimacy of um, intelligence. So I was wondering, do you know, as we kind of see um, Operation Cinder form, forming what will become, you know, the First Order by who's going to follow that order, do you think that the lack of uh, New Republic intelligence or the lack of a really good New Republic intelligence agency is what leads the First Order to be able to do what it does in the first place. I hadn't made that connection. Um, I, I think that's probably very smart. Uh, I, I really liked Cairn's obsession with intelligence, and I think he's right because they make a big point about how the New Republic is not equipped to rule a galaxy yet. Like they were not expecting to win at the battle of Endor almost. And they they said like, we're not a faction that's used to winning wars. And now all of a sudden we have to control everything and we're not set up to do that logistically. And they don't have the manpower to keep fighting effectively. So yeah, he's right that they need to strike intelligently and hit the empire or what's left of it at the best spots so yeah i I can totally see that maybe maybe they for a while rely on intelligence for uh 
for their fighting. And then once the war is over, they just kind of abandon it because they want peacetime. And Mon Mothma was very uh, into demilitarization. I also kind of get like a little finger vibe from Game of Thrones yeah. about Karen. <laughs> yes. Like he seems very self-serving. So I'm wondering if maybe like, yeah, he's right, but he'll do something that is going to negate everything that he's fighting for. And people will be like, maybe we shouldn't listen to that guy. And it's like, that, I don't know that I think that's really smart. And there could be multiple ways to that end point of the new republic just not having much intelligence at all and leia being the sole source of finding out what's going on with the first order and then the new republic ignores it anyway just as you're saying that i was thinking that you know that's also kind of backed up by what we see in resistance you know why else would you have to to get somebody like um kaz to be a spy on a space station that you think is, you know, specifically a target for the First Order. I mean, like, if you already have an intelligence network, you're not sending somebody like Kaz to do this job. Because yeah. Kaz is not the man for the job. It ha- I mean, like, it, it does feel like they are trying to find the stepping stones that help us get to that point to, to make this this universe feel more filled out so that we can actually understand the the why of like the sequel trilogy finally um instead of just kind of feeling so rudderless in in many ways like we don't really understand the reality of of how things are the way they are so that it it what we see in the films doesn't quite necessarily make as much sense um and so I, I like that we're kind of filling that in finally. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm definitely on board with I wish there was a little bit more information on the New Republic, what was going on in The Force Awakens before it was just completely obliterated. I mean, even um, in the movie would have been nice. <laughs> that, yeah, that that's what I mean. That In the movie, we just get like nothing. And now I feel like they're going to start filling in those gaps and we can see how things went from uh the way they are now in alphabet squadron and over time i guess like the next real point of reference is bloodline where everything is just so bipartisan and everyone's angry at each other and no one believes that the empire could ever come back and i think we'll see that slow degrade as we fill in those gaps which i'm sure they will (laughs) yeah and i you know i think you one of the things that I appreciated, at least, you know, even though it doesn't make it better necessarily, but, you know, uh, they they mentioned, you know, Bob Iger, Bob Iger has talked about the fact that, you know, they, they realized that they rushed some things with Star Wars. Um, and I definitely think you can you can feel that all over the place in the sequel trilogy, you know, um, not as much in The Force Awakens, but it's when you, you know, get to the last jedi and and it you know you the timeline there has been very rushed you know um and so you don't feel as as cohesive as you would like it to be um but then too i mean you know i think that was definitely my biggest issue with with the force awakens in general was that lack of information and that lack of understanding of what the galaxy is like um you know whereas the other two series were very 
much so um, it was easy to understand what was going on because it's 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 so tied in with the world in which we're we we have lived and our history of the world and our mythology and stuff um, whereas this trilogy is is you know hasn't been uh, even though there are touchstones um, that if they had really wanted to push them they could have easily done so and made it even a little bit more evident so yeah I'm just glad that some of those tie-ins were finally starting to to get it and I think us finally being in the post Endor era like just right after that I mean mere weeks months after Endor it's just great to finally be in this position yeah I mean I, I totally agree about the sequel trilogy and the way that I, I think that the force awakens just had a lot of mandates where they were like <laughs> yeah. I, I think there was some pendulum swinging away from the prequel trilogy where they're like no politics let's get away from that and we're like we have all of the legacy actors and they're this age now so we're going to make it this many years after return of the jedi and they they just had all of these like pre-made molds i guess that jj then had to fit and he had to make this movie that felt like star wars and introduced star wars to a new generation and yeah it, it you can kind of just feel that in the story. I think that, uh, <laughs> that there were just all these prerequisites that were going into it. And now it's up to the books and the comics to kind of make it all make a little more sense. And I think that they're going to succeed because what we've seen so far in the books and comics, I've been very pleased with. So, yeah. And, uh, yeah. And it'll be JJ's job to just try and put the bow on it now. <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> um, something that really I, I was thinking of, um, you know, we talked about tie-ins, and you know, the one of the the coolest things when this book was um, being announced was the fact that it was going to involve Hera, and that she was going to be a part of this story. And so I wanted to ask you because she has, I would say, a muted role in the book. Was it enough for you? Did you want more? Um, how did you feel like Freed handled her introduction into this series? I could have stood to have a little more Hera, um, but I'm glad that I guess she wasn't overused. I guess it, there were just some things where she would start to talk about her past and what happened with Star Wars Rebels, and then they would kind of pull away from it. Like, no one was ever called by name. She didn't reminisce about Kanan. She didn't even talk about Jason. I was like, I want to know what's up with Jason Sindula. I mean, shouldn't his so, her son be there? Because he's not that old at this point. <laughs> right. Like, where is he? What daycare did she send him to? Uh, like, <laughs> New Republic daycare. <laughs> yeah. It's just on a ship nearby that can, I guess, jump to light speed if danger arises. But yeah, I, I could have stood to use a little more, but she did have some really great scenes with uh, Quell, and I there was a good one with Nath. So it was a good like balance, I think. I think maybe in Alphabet 2, Freed could lean a little more into Hera, bring her in a little bit more. Uh, but I guess it was a little cautious <laughs> to just make sure that she didn't overshadow the new characters. Yeah, I can definitely see that point. And I, I th I'm with you. I, I I feel like I could have used a little bit more of her and I, I think what he does with her is great. 
I will say this. If you're going to use Hera, I want her to be the only character that you could use in that position. Like, that, there's a real sense mm. that she belongs in the story because Hera is the only one that should be in the story. Not just, oh, it's cool, we'll put Hera in there. And a part of me kind of feels like what she does in this story, any character could have done in the story. Um, and that even the points, I, I kind of see that. Yeah. Like, it, it very easily could have been swapped out with uh, Lando or something like that. But th- there was this aspect of, I guess, Alphabet Squadron coming together as a family. And the crew of the Ghost was definitely a family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think maybe that's what the inspiration for bringing Hera in was. And I, I think you're right. And I and and that's where I think you're right on target. Um stay on target. Um <laughs> that uh Alphabet Two will, you know, have more of her because this this group has become more of a family and, and she'll be part of that. Because I felt like they kind of did use her to push them towards that and um, I think this is where, you know, you could go in many different directions with, uh, Karen and all that stuff. Like maybe there's a internal battle between, you know, following Karen and following Hera, you know, mm-hmm. like, um, because like you mentioned that Karen kind of has his own little, um, desires and maybe the group ends up you know, not wanting to be a part of what he's trying to build anymore. And so, I mean, there's lots of different ways that you could go where it really legitimizes us having Hera. I mean, I love Hera. She's one of my favorite Star Wars characters. Um, You're literally wearing a Hera shirt. I am wearing a Hera shirt. <laughs> um, and so I really appreciate the fact that she's here. And, and you know, when we realized that she survived the end of um, the, the, the rebellion, you know, with... Uh, she was at the Battle of Endor and, and all of those kind of things. You know, I, I was ecstatic to have her here. Um, I, like you, I, I want to know where Jason is. Like, hashtag where's Jason? Um, I would also, you know, it seems strange to me that nobody in her crew is with her anymore. Like, right. You know, but, I, mean, but I feel like Zeb could yeah, be around. Yeah. Just, um, just name drop somebody and yeah. tell us where they are. That'd be cool. Uh, well, I mean, and, and, you know, um, I, this is kind of where I thought, you know, it, I think Rex could still be there, you know? So, um, that would have been really neat. So anyway, I mean, just all that to say, I guess I could never have enough Hera. So (laughs) I would, I would love to have more Hera in the story. I think that would be great. Okay. So we, we. We should probably talk about some of these other characters. Uh, we we <laughs> talked about Erisa. Uh, is that how you say your name? Is it? I've been calling. I've been calling her Erica. Basically, I just figured Erica. it was the Star Wars mm, version I, of Erica. I like that. Okay. Yeah, we'll go with my Erica. my wife says that they say it Erica in the Erica. In the audio okay, book. there you go. We'll go with that. Chas was really a funny character, a really interesting character, and she flies a B wing, which made me a fan already because I love B-Wings, and they don't get enough love in the Star Wars universe. Um, but I, what I loved about her character, too, is that, and Freed loves to use Rogue One stuff, which I love him for, um, the fact that she is a fan and idolizes Jin and actually had met her because Jin saved her life once 
was just, I mean, I know it's small universe, but I honestly didn't care. I, I just, I really, I really liked that Rogue One is a part of Star Wars now, and we're getting people that remember Jin and that, that group sacrifice as much as they remember, you know, Skywalker and Solo. I really liked that, yeah, Chas idolizes Jin, but specifically, like, the fact that she uh, gave her life for a cause, and so Chas throughout the story almost has like this. I don't. I don't know if I'd go so far as to say death wish, but like she wants to die in the glory of battle for some big cause, and like will keep stopping her basically. Although, like I don't think that if she were to die at either of those two points in the book, it wouldn't have been something along the lines of Jin. So like I think she's a little misguided, but. Uh, yeah, I, I like that inspiration for her. I love that she listens to music while she flies. <laughs> I thought that was an awesome detail. And I, I love seeing people put chass playlists up on Twitter. Yeah, that's so funny because um, just last week on Aggressive Negotiations, we were talking about uh, in-universe pop music. And then we kind of like transitioned to talking about what characters would listen to, you know, from our universe. And it was kind of interesting to to get a character um, that has that, you know, like that likes music and that just like us, you know, has, um, you know, lots of people exercise to music or, you know, ride their bike to music or, you know, we all, most of us drive to music a lot of times, you know, so like the fact that she flies to music is fantastic. Um, you know, I just want to, I just want to, if it ever happens to her, she randomly has, you know, the sappy love song come on her playlist and like, no, not that song. <laughs> like, <Yeah>. Not now. <laughs> not now. Oh, um, but no, yeah, I, I agree with you. Like, I thought it was interesting that she is a Thelen with a cause, like, or she wants to be. She wants to be somebody who um, is maybe too willing to give their life for a cause. Um, and that part of that is, again, we, we get down to the psychology of these characters. And part of that is the, 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 the psychological trauma that she's been through. And she's lost so many people. And part of her pushing so hard is that maybe she is a kind of feeling like she might be better off dead um but she wants to go out giving her life for a cause too um but there's so much pain there that that's the only way she can she's not going to commit suicide but she's willing to die at the drop of a hat basically in battle and yeah that's a very dangerous place to be so i'm, I'm interested to see um, how they continue that, and if it's something that will change then in Alphabet 2 and 3 as she gets closer to this group. Yeah. So, Karos is the strangest character I've ever encountered in a Star Wars novel, I think. Um, she's the U-Wing pilot, which is awesome because I love U-Wings. But we know so little about her, mainly because she is covered from head to toe. She has a mask on her face. And the only thing we really got from her backstory is that Darth Vader had come to her planet. That's what we get the feeling like. Like Darth Vader had been involved with something on her planet. That's about it. That's, yeah. I remember in the first third of the book reading about Kairos and I was like, is this Hera? 
I was wondering if she was going to like <laughs> pop the mask off and I'd be like, oh my gosh, it's Hera. But nope. <laughs> I, yeah, it, we have no idea what's going on with her. And see, I, I, I'm interested to hear uh, where you got the Darth Vader part because, I mean, I read that little, her origin story and I yeah, um, I couldn't pull much out of it. But I, if you caught something cool, then I want to know. Think, I think it's when um, she's telling her story and um, she mentions... In the story she's telling, she says somebody in uh, with a mask, I think it was. And I kind of got the feeling like the way that she was telling the story because they were, I think, trying to shoot that character and it felt like something where blaster bolts are flying around. So you got almost this feeling of lightsaber. Mm. So again, I could be totally off because this is very esoteric storytelling that she's (laughs) doing because she's literally... um, doing hand motions and stuff while telling the story. Yeah, like drawing in the sand and like everything but talking. (laughs) Yes, Uh, which she can talk because we actually hear her talk a couple of times. Well, you know, we read her talk uh, a couple of times. Um, And so it is, it was just really fascinating. That and we also get this feeling like she has some sort of debt to Karen. Mm. And that was really interesting as well because... Again, I, I like I love your pull that he kind of feels like Littlefinger where he's he's um collecting all of these people that owe him a debt. And then, you know, um he he kind of feels like the godfather, you know. One day I'll ask you to do this favor for me. You know, like and you will do it. Um so yeah, she is a mystery. Now I had a wild theory just want to run it by you. I kind of thought maybe with the disguise that she has and the mask, possibly that she is a Jedi hmm. who is been in hiding. It's just a question. I'm, I didn't. I I'm, yeah. I have no way to say no. <laughs> we know so little. Like my. I I do always my first gut reaction is like okay we see a character in a mask why don't we see their face right. that's a little different in a book uh but like in the upcoming Fallen Order game the second sister inquisitor everyone including myself was like oh maybe it's Barisafi and then the developers like it's not but just if they're hiding the face I'm like yeah why are they hiding their face I assume that it's someone we know under there um but I don't know when it's in a book. I'm like, eh, maybe not. Yeah, and it's I mean you know because they've put the artwork out of what these characters look like, um, right? And her mask is very unique looking. Um, and it it kind of I don't know it has this Kylo Renish feel to it. Uh, in some ways, it also has some weird bounty hunter looks to it. You know, like yeah. it's kind of a conglomeration of a lot of things we've seen. Um, I think. She's the character I'm actually most intrigued by in the book just because she is such a mystery. And the very little bit that we get about her just makes me wonder a lot. So I think she's the one I'm most excited to kind of follow throughout the rest of these two books where we can finally get hopefully some reveals about hopefully she doesn't turn into the Snoke of this series where we just don't know anything about she is Snoke. I think you just That's figured it, it out. <laughs> That's the theory. She's Snoke. Okay, I like it. 
Snoke's sister, maybe. Snoke's sister. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So Will is, I think, like our everyday character. Like he's our everyman. Um, yeah. And I thought he was just a really interesting character because, you know, he comes from kind of a backwater planet. He kind of, in that way, feels a little Luke Skywalker-ish, you know. Um, but he's not necessarily somebody who really ever really wanted to leave home. So we have the opposite of that. And I thought that that was really interesting to get somebody who's really, whose who's only goal, goal here is really just to go home. And I kind of enjoyed that because we don't see that a lot in Star Wars where the character's like, you know what, I've just kind of had enough of all this. I'd just like <laughs> to go home. Um, and I, I found him, you know, he, as all the characters do on the team, he's just so likable. Yeah. That's I, Will was my favorite of the group. Uh, I totally agree with you that he, it, it's like the opposite of the call to action almost where Luke, Luke has that moment where he's standing out looking at the sunset. Like Will never had that moment. He was like, I never wanted to leave but he was the best pilot in his village. So he had to. And he was like, okay, I'll do my duty. And then he's like the, his first chapter, he is going home the next day. And then he gets swept up into all this stuff. He was one day from retirement. And then he gets stuck into this fight with Chas at first. Uh, but just watching him during that first third of the book, while uh, Shadow Wing is chasing them through hyperspace over and over, which uh, that was a cool little mystery. Because when they f first reveal, like, we're being chased through hyperspace, I was like, but hyperspace tracking hasn't been developed yet. How are they doing this? And then you slowly get to piece it together. But that part where there's almost a no man's land, like, both capital ships are uh, not destroyed. What am I thinking of? They're deactivated. And so the rebel pilots are protecting theirs and the tie fighters are protecting theirs and no one's really fighting and will like tries to radio the tie pilots and just start talking to them i i thought that that was i wrote it on the page of the book that like this is the moment i fell in love where the the story just kicked off for me and from that point on i was hooked you brought that up um and so as i was doing a reread of the book it, it i was thinking um, and what came to mind in that scene was that um, that famous armistice uh, during World War One, where both sides came together on Christmas Eve. Yeah. And it almost seems like Will is kind of trying to have that moment. You know, he's like, we got nothing else to do. Um, and and basically, it's so interesting because he's respecting the TIE pilots as actual people, you know, and the TIE pilot doesn't do the same in return. You know, we see yeah. the difference of basically, and, and it really brings home that that the the, the imperial the uh, thought process of everybody who's not an imperial, which is basically you're less than us, and we don't see you as a full being. Basically, you're not worthy of our respect whatsoever. And I, that that really brought that moment home, and I thought that was a really cool way to be able to do that. Yeah, I mean, I was fully like, oh, cool, he's going to have this conversation with the TIE fighter pilot. And like at first, it kind of starts out where he's like figuring out which specific TIE fighter this guy he's talking to flies. 
uh, Blink, I think, because he uh, he had one missing uh, blaster cannon. But then, yeah, pretty quickly, Blink just does not reciprocate any friendship and is just like, we're going to kill you and blah, blah, blah. And that I was like, oh my gosh, this did not go the way I was expecting. Uh, but I love, love that scene. Yeah, it is a good scene. And I think like you said, too, it is a moment that helps us kind of see the the goodness of the character of Will, which is nice um, because he is kind of that character that everybody on the team relates to. And even Chas, who is angry with him, can't actually hate him because of yeah. the, the character that he has. Um, and I thought that that was really cool because by the end of the book, everybody on the team really is much closer. Um, and, and that was, he is definitely a part, I think, of, of bringing them together um, because he's also the one who helps kind of force the conversations while they're camping and really make that a thing where people start telling their stories. Uh, and I thought that was really good again he becomes um the glue of the group which is mm-hmm. you know that's that's you need that character so um and you and you just need that person in reality too like uh, anybody who has a group of friends knows they have that one person in the group who's just kind of the one that keeps everybody truly together so um nath was really what i loved about him is that he's the character that does definitely seem to have his own agenda. And I'm not quite sure I know what his own agenda is. I mean, I know he wanted to kill Shadow Squadron, but it seems like he's just got something else going on too, and I'm really fascinated to see where else we go with this character. Yeah, like, he partly seems like he's out for money, partly seemed like he wanted to go get revenge on Grandmother. I also like that he was an early defector from the Empire, but not again for noble reasons it was because he was corrupt and the empire found out and they were going to kill him and he's like yes i'm a rebel now so he's got like he's he's the scoundrel of the crew i guess where you're like i'm not sure where this guy is where he lies and if we can completely trust him which is he's another one that's like he's likable frustratingly likable and everyone seems to get along with him but you don't know if you can trust him yet. That's the thing that I, I really liked him. Like the, there's that moment where um, Yurika has uh, painted the Alphabet Squadron logo on all of their ships. And he's like, don't ever t- touch my ship again. But then he can't keep from smirking at the same time like that he's not really mad that this happened. Yeah. And yeah, there's just this kind of thing, like you said, he is very much that that lovable scoundrel like you can't really dislike him um and i i I find that interesting because you know obviously star wars does that a lot so what it makes me wonder is is if we'll follow kind of you know the star wars trope for the scoundrel with him or if there will be something more to it um and i think that's an interesting story to follow yeah i mean it will will he go the way of han solo or dj like, which kind of is he completely out for himself or does he believe in anything else? And at this point, it's a it's a coin toss. Um, I, So it's called Alphabet Squadron. Which ship would you want to fly? Uh, 
I've uh, it's always been a tough choice between X and A wing for me. I really like uh, the A wing for speed, but X wing is I always wind up choosing that. I would say if I'm going into play Battlefront or something, it's probably my favorite starfighter design period. So I guess I'll go X wing. It's, it's good all around. Yeah, that's very true. I think I think I'd go B wing. I just love that ship. It's really cool. And again, I, I'm just glad that they're playing around with all of these different ships that, you know, I, as much as I love the X-Wing squadron, right, it is kind of fun to have a squadron that's made up of just a completely ragtag group, which is great. I loved, yeah, that Freed points out, one of my friends, another YouTuber named Space Doc, when this book was announced, he made a very tongue-in-cheek video about why mixed starfighter squadrons are a terrible idea because it's like okay you have an a-wing and a y-wing and the y-wing can't go nearly as fast as the a-wing so the speed of the a-wing is negated and he like went into all these nitpicky things and he was like i know i'm being nitpicky and this is mostly just for fun but then alexander freed addresses all of that in the book where it's like this makes no sense but it's what we have and like the a-wing but there are times where will is like flying circles around them just trying to stay near his group and i i was very impressed with how technical the starfighter writing was it, it matched what the x-wing books used to be so i i was very impressed by that yeah i, I would say i think alexander freed's books uh, in general just talking about you know uh the idea of of, of ships and starfighters and stuff like i feel like his books are the the most star wars wars books out there like it truly feels like you're reading a book about the military i mean if you read battlefront mm, yeah. it, that's that's it's a it's a military book before even almost it's a star wars book and i think in a lot of ways this book is very much about um this is like you know star wars top gun kind of thing uh except there's nothing top gun about these <laughs> these pilots and their ships you know this is like your your um your crap squadron like you know <laughs> like you said this doesn't even make any sense to put all together um but what i love about it is again it just it feels very military based um and i think there's a there's room for that you know like you mentioned the fact that the the, the old x-wings x-wing books used to be very much like that and people loved them i think part of part of the reason they love them is because of that you know um, it's the reason why you go to so many cons and there are the military of Star Wars panels. You know, people love the military aspect of Star Wars and these book books like this really put that front and center and that's great that they're doing that. Yeah, I completely agree. So there is a whole other side to this book and it is a very small story, um, but we it turns out that the whole other character that we're following, Devin is actually Major Soren. And I wanted to ask you, how did that work for you in the storyline? I think by his final part, I had caught on that, especially because his last chapter was after uh, Erica told Karen the real story about her defection and how Soren let her go. And knowing that he was alive, I was like, oh, that's Devin. Okay. Um, I, I kind of get the feeling or I wonder if 
they decided to make this book a trilogy like in the middle of writing it and he was like oh i need to like do an mcu tease for the future so like he added in the devon chapters um i i don't know if that's true or not i could just they, like they came out of nowhere they were like at the end of every part uh of the story so i was just like i could see that happening or maybe they meant it to be a trilogy the whole time i don't know uh but yeah, it did excite me at the end, knowing that he's, I guess, still out there. And he, he like, tried to separate himself from the fight, but it didn't work. And so I guess now he's going to go back to the Empire because it's all he knows. So I, I'm interested to see that conflict, especially if, I mean, it, they, he has to run into Quell at some point, And oh, yeah. she has this history with him, and it's not an unfriendly history. So that'll yeah. be an interesting meeting. I I mean, I agree in that that aspect that that part that the setup there for the fact that they will meet sometime is is that's what I'm looking forward to. I I definitely think that the editing uh, for this story with him, I honestly think that you could have cut out all of those other parts with him and just had the end basically stinger. Uh, like an MCU, like just yeah. just do that, and it would have been much more effective. Um, like tell have her tell her story, and then the stinger at the end of the book is, you know, him coming, you know, being like, "I'm going back," you know, yeah. and and I think because otherwise, I didn't see enough validity to spend that much time with him you know, um, throughout because it, it wasn't super interesting really. And I, I don't know. I, I just felt like the editing on that part, it, they should have found a better way to introduce him than, than, you know, just kind of these random chapters that really don't have an impact on the rest of the story until that last reveal. And even with the last reveal, it, it doesn't feel like you earned spending that much time just me personally. I think that you're probably right that it could have just been boiled down to one little chapter where, I mean, I, I kind of enjoyed the little story of him going to this village and then teaching the villagers how to stand up for the, themselves. Like maybe that could have been the last chapter, but then at the end of that, the new Republic comes and tries to assassinate him. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I think because then you'd be like, yeah, I'm on this guy's side. Oh, the new Republic's trying to kill him. Oh, they just drove him back to the empire. Oh no. <laughs> Yeah, no, I think that's that. Yeah, I think we just fixed the problem. So why aren't we editors? We should just be editors, Alex. Um, so I, I do have like before we wrap up and and kind of rate the book. Um, I do have one question because obviously this is going to get compared to the X Wing series. Um, and how how did this compare for you? And this did this kind of um scratch that itch that that. I know as fans, so many of us have been kind of wanting a series like that. Did this do it for you? Um, and, and do you feel like it kind of lived up to the legacy of the legacy anyway of the the X-Wing series? I think so. It definitely scratched my itch for some pilot stories like I would consider this probably tied with my two other favorite Star Wars canon novels right now, uh, Lost Stars and Thrawn. Like the, these are now my three number ones. I don't know if I could 
separate out which one I like the most. Um, the the X-Wing books, especially Rogue Squadron, that was like one of the first Star Wars books I ever read. So it's, I don't know if anything's ever going to like top that for me just because of nostalgia. <laughs> and like I, I reread it recently just to make sure it held up and it does. So uh, I'm, I, I think it was a very worthy successor. Part of me is a little like, bummed knowing that it's just a trilogy because i really miss having these series of books like legends used to have i mean there's 11 x-wing books and there's the new jedi order and i know people aren't crazy about it but i like that the books had like these ongoing stories that took a long long time to tell that you could get invested in so i'm glad that we're gonna get a taste of that with alphabet squadron i kind of hope they leave it open to tell more starfighter stories like i guess maybe i wish it were called that wouldn't make any sense <laughs> i couldn't call it x-wing alphabet squadron but uh i i, I wish that i could know that we were going to continue these starfighter yeah. type stories no i think you have a i mean a really valid point you know the, the, i remember um and it's been not too long ago, probably within the last five years, I think, that I read the um, the Rogue Squadron series. And I thought the Rogue Squadron series was excellent. Um, and, and specifically for the way in which, because the Thrawn series had jumped ahead five years, that X-Wing series, the beginning of it, really filled in, you know, them liberating, like, Coruscant. And you built all the way up to that. You know, you, you and like you said, you really were you had something to look forward to and this was a long running series and you know i'm wondering if after the rise of skywalker they will be able to do that because they have this 30 year gap that they've got stuff to fill in and god knows they need to do that as we were kind of mentioning that we would love to have more of this this connective fiber uh to you know that trilogy and so this is definitely, I think, a good way that you could do that is this is a series that, yes, you could tell this tell this trilogy here, but you could easily do another trilogy after this. Yeah, I think that they probably will, after the Rise of Skywalker, kind of open the floodgates on uh, the time period between Jedi and Awakens because like, they're doing so much now where... I think they're going to tell like they could take something like X-Wing and make it uh, a, a Disney plus series now where some of those smaller stories that used to, they would have been books back in legends, but now they could be TV series. And so, but there are things like whatever happened to Luke during that time period, you can't make that a series. I mean, I guess I would prefer it not be a series. People say Sebastian Stan could play, uh, Luke Skywalker and I'm like yeah he looks like him but I'd I'd rather just read a book I'd re I'd rather read a lot of books about Luke than see someone else play Luke I guess but it worked for Alden so what do I know you know I mean yeah they could they could totally do that um you know I I honestly thought that the Luke series would have been a good animated series yeah so um but yeah I mean absolutely I I think that this 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 sets up um, in many ways, what the 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 Rogue Squadron books did for the X Wing series, and and it is something that I feel like I want to follow, and 
so you mentioned that this is in your your top three, which is big time for the new canon. That's amazing. Um, if you were going to rate it, say out of five, what what would you give it? Do you think? I'd probably give it a five for me. Oh, that's it, great. It, it hit everything I wanted it to. It, it actually did more than I was expecting. Um, I, I, yeah, <laughs> it, it exceeded my expectations. So I'd give it a five. That's great, man. You know, it, it's interesting because I, I rated this, I think when I wrote the review, 3.75 out of five. But I do hmm. think that I would go ahead and bump it up to four out of five in the reread like I really enjoyed the book a little bit more on the reread and I think part of that was that I felt a little bit more connected to the characters than I did in the first go round um and that was that was the only drawback I had had kind of at the beginning like I felt like one of the things I love that Freed is doing in this book is he's really playing with a lot of themes um, of war and the cost and, and surviving war and the, the, what it means to survive um, and what it means, you know, what does it mean to go from being a rebellion to, a, uh, you know, a governing body, you know, and all of these kind of things, all those, exci- all those exciting things. Um, and I wasn't quite as connected with the characters, but I felt like this read, I was able to get a better hook with the characters um, so yeah, I, I really do like this book. I think the most exciting part is for me is that we're finally in the time period and, and kind of telling the stories that, I mean, we're not playing with the big three here, but we are telling stories that really are laying that foundation for what this, that, you know, the sequel trilogy universe is, yeah. which to me, that's super exciting. And I, I really can't wait to read more because yeah, uh, I free freed, I think has done a great job of setting up a lot of great mysteries now surrounding all these characters and I want to see how they play out. So, um, absolutely. Uh, I'm, I'm excited to get more of this series and, and I'm glad got a chance to talk about it. I'm so glad you wanted to come on and talk about it because a lot of fun. I really want to say thank you to our associate producers through Patreon, uh, Ken Tripp, Davis Grayson, Wyan Millette, and Daniel Noah for supporting the network uh, each and every week through Patreon. Um, every month they support this network to make sure all of the shows keep coming to you, especially the 602 Club. And we need your help just like they have given us their help. And so go to patreon.com slash trekfm. You can see how you can become part of our team. Make sure all of the podcasts we do keep coming to you each and every week. You can give at certain contribution levels we have, but honestly, every little bit helps. So again, that's patreon.com slash trekfm. Uh, Alex, so much fun to, to have you on the show here. Um, obviously, welcome back anytime you want to talk some Star Wars or heck, anything else uh, that we're covering. But let everybody know uh, where they can find you online and uh, about Star Wars Explained. Yeah, uh, our YouTube channel is called Star Wars Explained. I run it with my wife, Molly, and we keep up with all of the books and the comics and the TV shows when they're on and the future Disney Plus series and anything that comes out, uh, I, I take it in and... We review it, we talk about the big points, and just try to help uh, simplify the galaxy far, far away since it's so massive and there's so much to keep up with. And uh, I try to make sure people who are just interested in like the movies can make sure they know everything that happened in the books that might be relevant and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, our YouTube channel is Star Wars Explained. We're also on Twitter at Star Wars Explained. 
and we're on Instagram and Facebook. We're everywhere. So yeah, thank you for having me on. Absolutely, man. Uh, and definitely check it out. Um, one of the things I love that you do is, you know, how you'll um, kind of give all the bullet points for the comics and stuff if you're having trouble keeping up with all the stuff that's coming out. So it, it is, it's an excellent resource for anybody uh, that's at any level of fandom, honestly. So, uh, yeah, man, thanks for being on. Uh, you can find me uh, on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd under the name MattRushing02. I'm here on the network also doing a show called The Orb with Chris Jones talking about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. I'm over on the Nerd Party Network doing two shows. Uh, one's called Owlpost with Drea Kaufman, uh, and that's where we talk about the Harry Potter series one chapter at a time. Uh, and we are actually in the Order of the Phoenix right now. We're on, almost done with that book, actually. We only have about nine chapters left, so it's very cool. Uh, check that out. Um, I'm also doing aggressive negotiations there on the Nerd Party, uh, talking Star Wars with John Mills each and every week. So I hope that you will check that out. And then last but not least, um, I'm doing a show called Cinema Stories with my friend Courtney, and that's where we talk about f- films, but through the lens of faith. And we want to say thank you so much for joining us. And may the Force be with you. (laughs) ¶¶